Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. You know, I'm convinced that in most of our marriages, if we could really guard our tongues, we could solve about 90% of our problems. Well, those are words of wisdom from Pastor Bob Craning, and you'll discover why his advice is worth heeding on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Welcome to our broadcast. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, when it comes to marriage, Bob and his wife Carol have the experience that counts. They were married for 62 years until... Bob's death last year at the age of 86. And certainly our hearts go out to the Craning family. Bob was in ministry for over 50 years, and he and Carol have two sons, nine grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren. And wow, 62 years of marriage. I wonder how they did that. That's the perfect question, John. And today and next time, Pastor Bob will provide those answers with a message that was recorded when he and Carol had been married for 25 years, and they had taken some time to sit down and think through what they'd learned. This is a classic presentation from Pastor Bob Craning, recorded back when he was the executive director of Forest Home Christian Camps in Southern California on today's episode of Focus on the Family. I thought maybe a good way for us to begin um, this particular week together. Carol and I have just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in May, uh, the last weekend of May. 24th was our anniversary, and we uh, have put in 25 years. And uh, our kids did a very special thing for us on that weekend. And uh, we went away for a couple of days, and when we came home on Sunday afternoon, they had uh, asked us to get home at a certain hour to go to dinner with uh, them and their girlfriends and and fiancé and uh, so forth. And when we got home, we had about 110 or 120 people in our backyard, and our backyard isn't big enough for that many people. But uh, they were all there dressed in costumes of the 50s. Uh, Everybody had their hair greased down and had bobby socks, and and, um, we... uh, we just totally were shocked. We had no idea they were doing anything, and we thought if we got to go to dinner with them, we'd be fortunate. And uh, they just put on a very, very special day for us. Had a lot of people out of our past and out of our present and, uh, and all dressed strange. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we had gone through 25 years, but prior to the celebration on Sunday, Carol and I had gone to Yosemite for a couple of days. My, we've lived in California for 25 years, and my wife had never seen Yosemite, so I thought maybe it was time, and uh, we went up and spent a couple of days up there. And one of the evenings, we had dinner together, and we sat, and I I asked Carol a question that night, and we sat and talked about it for a long time. I said, babe, I said, tell me, why do you think we're still together after 25 years? And why is it that we still have fun, and why is it that we still love each other, and that we still enjoy being together, and we enjoy praying together? And uh, we had, this year, I had a sabbatical, and we spent five weeks together, uh, 24 hours a day, literally, for five weeks. And kind of went into that with some apprehension. Uh, I travel a lot, and I'm gone a lot, and to suddenly be put together for five weeks, 24 hours a day, every day, uh, it probably was one of the best experiences of our whole lives. We just had an absolutely super five weeks together, and uh, it was very, very exciting. So we tried to just put together some things uh, about 25 years, and why are we together, what's made it good, and uh, I would thought maybe this morning that would be a good way to begin. What, what has made our 25 years 
Uh, and I don't really know. I mean, I can't give you, you know, great answers and say if you do these four things, you'll, it'll be super. But uh, I did write down five things why I don't think, uh, you know, those are the issues. And I think sometimes from the exterior, we look at a marriage or we look at somebody else. I know I get around certain marriages where I kind of look at the two people and I spend some time with them. And I kind of, in my mind, tend to feel, gee, you know, it's just those people. I mean, they got to make it. They got to get along well together. And yet I've counseled some people in my office who are in terrible trouble, who talking to them individually or seeing them together, you just look at them and say, how could they ever have a problem? I mean, they, they're so good looking, they're, they're so classy, they're just such neat people. You can't believe people like that can get in trouble in a marriage. So the five things I wrote down that are not the reasons, one, uh, I put down number one, it's just because, you know, we're neat people and we have it all together. And it's very simple. It's just because of the kind of people we are, it works. Uh, we found that's not true. Uh, Carol would tell you quickly that I don't have it all together, <laughs> and sometimes things aren't all that good. The second thing I wrote down is when we had marvelous counseling before we got married. Uh, our premarital counseling, I think, lasted about 10 or 12 minutes um, in total. I can only remember one thing he said, and that was in jest, and I don't think I'll tell it this morning, but I... Uh, I, uh, that's the only thing I remember out of what was said to us in about 10 or 12 minutes. That was the extent of the premarital counseling that we had. Uh, I will say this. We have uh, parents. Uh, my mom and dad had their 50th wedding anniversary two years ago. And three weeks before my folks had their 50th, Carol's folks had their, their 50th. So we do have good examples behind us. Uh, that I think have been very helpful. And, uh, but it is not because we had good counseling. Third thing I wrote down, it is not because we are in the ministry at Forest Home. I think people sometimes say to me, you know, I'll bet you it just helps everything, including your marriage, because you're at Forest Home. Forced home can be a real drag on a marriage. Um, I just want you to know that. It's not all, you know, really neat to be at forced home. Uh, the hours you spend in the summer, um, the kind of time you put in. Uh, I'm normally up here by quarter to eight in the morning, and I usually don't go home before 11 at night. And those can be very hard things on a marriage if you don't have a good feel about where you're trying to go in your marriage. So it is not that. Um, the fourth thing I wrote down is because we have two neat kids. Uh, you know, I'm prejudiced. I feel we do have two neat kids. Uh, and I'm very grateful to God for our 23 and our 17-year-olds. Uh, they're good guys, and they're great to have around. But they also, at points in our lives, have been a drag on our marriage. Fifth thing I wrote down is that uh, it's just because uh, we have good personalities and we're always up. I have people, I, my wife has many people ask Carol, is Bob really like what we see on the platform? And my wife, it really only takes her a very brief amount of time to say no. Uh, um, because, you know, what I am when I'm hosting a conference is not what I am all the time in my life. I am not that kind of a person every day. I have days when I'm down. I have days when I get up and I don't want to come here and do my thing. Uh, my wife prays for me every now and then, Lord, get him up. You know, <laughs> he is flat, and, uh, and I am like that, and that happens to me. So it isn't that. It isn't that just, you know, we're kind of neat and laid back, and it just works, and, and I tend to be up a lot, you know, and, and uh, I am, but I tend to crash when I walk out of here. So Carol has to put up with the downs that come out of walking off of this platform. I put down at the bottom, if we have had conflicts in our marriage, we have had times of grief, in our marriage, we have had some major arguments in our marriage. We have had illness. I have had two major surgeries. We have had debts. Uh, I look at all the things we've had in our marriage, and I think it's pretty normal. I think it's the things that other people have in their marriages. And somehow within the thrust of that, 
We've been able to put together 25 years and we're still excited about another 25 if God should give it to us. And I think it's important that somewhere in there, maybe some things have fallen together. And I am sure there are a number of people sitting in here. Let me just ask for fun as we start this morning. How many of you have been married less than five years? Anybody? Okay, we've got several less than five years. How many less than 10? Lots of hands less than 10, okay? How many less than 15? Not including the fives and the tens, okay? Less than 15, okay? How about less than 20? Okay. How about over 30? One, two, three, four, five, six. How about over 40? Got one, two, three, three couples over 40. Anybody hit 50? No 50s yet. If you make it till Thursday. <laughs> A little shaky. <laughs> 36? 39? How, about, how long have you been married? 46. 46. Ah. You know, isn't it interesting? I mean, how about the other couple back here? How long have you been married? 46. Ooh, we've got two 46s. You folks need to have lunch together. Um, you know, it's intriguing to me that in recent months, over the past, well, like two years, two or three places where I've been doing couples conferences, I've asked this question. And you know the thing that intrigues me is somebody who's been married 25 years or longer gets standing ovations. It's like it's so rare that when people hear that somebody's been married a long time, it's like, all right, you know, and they start cheering. I mean, there's a giant thing where I am convinced in my own mind 20 years ago that was not true. I mean, it was much more normal to have long-term marriage. It was the short-term marriage that people kind of went, oh, wow, you know, where now we've got so many short-term marriages that when people hear somebody's been married 46 years, that's eternity. I mean, people are going, 46 years? You know, it's like nobody does that anymore. And, uh, and yet it's true. There are people like that who have been married that long. So my 25 seems a little insignificant at this point. But uh, I'm excited that we have 25, and I want to try to share a couple of things with you. Something that was pointed out to me about a year ago that really turned my head and got me thinking. And I, uh, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to a passage that I have preached on on at least seven occasions that I can think of, but never in the context that came to my attention, which really started me thinking. And I took this passage of Scripture and tried to tie some things to it. And we're going to chew this passage up just with one word this morning, just a little bit. But I don't think it at all changes the meaning of the passage. We're just going to pull it down from kind of an expanded passage into a little tighter one. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. Now, not Ephesians 5. People hear Ephesians and they go, oh, not again. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 25. I want to begin at verse 23. And this really talks about our neighbors and our relationship with other Christians. And I want to more pull it down into our marriages this morning and try to take four or five things out of here and just talk about them for the time that we have in front of us. Verse 23. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Then in verse 25, we'll begin here, and we're going to work through 25 to 32. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. Let's just take the word neighbor this morning and insert the word spouse or husband or wife. Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his or her spouse. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. 
and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you quite a list there that Bob Craning is uh, reading from the scripture on today's episode of Focus on the Family. And you can get a CD of this program for a monthly pledge or a one-time gift of any amount to the ministry. Just call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or you can donate and request that CD to share with somebody or listen to again at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Hi, this is Jim Daly with Focus on the Family. I'd like to invite you to join us this Friday for an online experience called Sea Life 2021. In this six-episode video series, we're sharing stories, insight, and encouragement that will inspire and empower you to live out your pro-life views. You'll also discover valuable resources to help you step up and get involved in the cause. This is a digital experience you and your family won't want to miss. Visit FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Life. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. I just took this and worked with it, and uh, a friend of mine gave me the idea and got me really turning in this area, and Carol and I spent a lot of time talking about this last week, and I just want to kind of put these out in front of you and talk a little bit about where we are in this, and uh, we don't have these things all together. I wish we did. If we had them all together, we'd have the perfect marriage, and it'd be a marvelous thing, but we don't. But we're working on them, and I think we've learned some things. First of all, in verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his spouse, this says with neighbors, and we're just tightening it up a little bit, for we are members one of another. And I just wrote down, I put, lay aside falsehood and speak the truth. Um, probably one of the things that Carol and I have done reasonably well, I said to Carol this morning, we were sitting at the table at the house this morning, and I said, honey, and I was going over the outline, and I said, do we really tell each other the truth? And Carol kind of looked up with a little smile, and she said, well, almost. I said, what does that mean? And, you know, I thought she was going to tell me something. Well, she said, you know, sometimes it's like we tell about 90% of it, but the other 10% might hurt more than we wish, so we hold that for a day or two. (laughs) And she gave me a couple of little examples. But I said, are we, do you feel we are really truthful with one another? When I come home in the afternoon and you ask me where I've been, do you feel I tell you where I've been? And she said, there's no question in my mind that you tell me where you've been. You know, there's an essence of truth within the structure of a marriage that is absolutely critical to survival. 
Uh, I am intrigued with people that I counsel, and I don't do lots of marital counseling, but I do some very consistently. I am intrigued with people who just get habitual lying patterns within a marriage. They just simply don't tell each other the truth. And I think if there's anything we've done in 25 years, it's try to speak the truth honestly and lay aside falsehood to be honest people with one another. Let me read you just a little bitty quip. Incidentally, I just read this book. Uh, I had read this book a long, long time ago, and I just reread this book. You know, it's kind of funny with all the marriage manuals out now that give us all the juicy things. People have tended to walk away from some of the better things that have ever been written. And uh, I think this little book, I don't care whether you've been married a month or whether you've been married 40 years, this little book has some marvelous things to say. And it's the little book, The Art of Understanding Your Mate by Cecil Osborne. And it just has some great, great things in it. And uh, it's uh, all to deal with relationships. And it's just a lovely book. Listen to this little bitty clip in here that so well says this. And in this, he's talking about couples that he worked with. And he was having a group session with some couples that were in trouble in their marriages. And uh, this one woman had really vented her anger about her husband. And finally one night, this had come out two or three times, but she had never really spelled it out in the group. And finally one night, she just blurted it out. And she said, and he says, until one night when she revealed to our very small intimate group that she had discovered her husband Tom had been supporting and living with another woman on and off for several years. Suddenly her anger knew no bounds. She vented it in yelling and tears for several minutes. Tom sat and listened in total shock and suddenly for the first time, probably in many years, became personal. All right, he blurted out, I'll get down to brass tacks. I have lived most of our marriage as a pack of lies and I have done it so long that I am just glad to unload it off of my chest. I started by telling one lie to cover one other lie. Then I told five lies to cover those two lies. And then I told ten to cover the five. And now I've told thousands to cover the whole sorry mess. And he began to cry. And then he goes on and talks about a man in the group who walked over and put his arms around him. And he said, honesty could salvage your problem. And then he goes on for three pages and tells about what's happened to the marriage of a couple that looked hopeless that have really put it back together. But isn't it interesting? Have you ever discovered in your life when you tell a lie, if you just don't quite tell it all the way true, you've always got to remember what you said. <laughs> because somewhere you're going to have to say something else to cover up what was not right. And I, a man told me many years ago, he said, Craning, just remember this. If you told the truth, you never have to think about what you said. Because if you ever ask again, you're going to tell it exactly the same. And I guess if there's anything we've done in our marriage, it's been try to speak the truth and have a real honesty in our relationship. There's a little saying that I picked up out of college that I have taped in my desk drawer, and I've kept this around for years. It's had a great influence on my thinking. It's this, and maybe some of you have heard me give it. Never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. There are so many things happen in our lives where we do something in the immediate realm that really messes up the permanent experience. I cannot believe people that I've counseled over the last year, guys who have gotten involved, Christian men who've gotten involved in some little way with some woman that's gotten them in all kinds of trouble because they did a little sudden immediate thing that absolutely blasted the whole permanent experience. 
20 years invested, and they go out and in a few minutes do something awful that some of them never recover from. And all out of kind of sacrificing the permanent on the altar of the immediate, giving up a momentary pleasure for the truth and for the permanent seems critical to a good marriage. That we really look at our marriages long term, that we really look at it down the road. And I think sometimes we look and we say, well, I've been married five years or I've been married 10 years, and that seems long. I look at 25, and golly, 25 seems short. I, I look back, and it seems like in one way we've always been married, and in another way it seems like it's been so short. It's been such a brief amount of time that we've had together to put in 25 years. So the first thing that I put down was just speak the truth. Chuck Swindoll made this statement, and boy, it's a great statement. Lying and true intimacy in a marriage can never coexist. That is a great statement. Lying and true intimacy in a marriage can never coexist. See, if things are not true within the structure of your relationship, you cannot have true intimacy. Now, you may have intimate moments, but you can never have true intimacy if there are untruths that are weaving in and out and around that marriage. So speak the truth, lay aside falsehood. Then the second thing he says in here is be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. But you know what he says here? He says be angry and do not sin. He does not say don't get angry. And I think it's probably very difficult for us to live in kind of close living situation that we live in in a marriage, that intimate relationship of two imperfect people coming into an impossible situation. There are just going to be times when we're going to get a little hostile. Things are not going to hit us exactly right. But he's saying there's a difference between getting angry and sinning and carrying that out to some major extent, letting it affect actions and all of the things that we do. Be angry and sin not. Here's a little thing that comes out of this book that I wrote down that I just thought was so good. Cecil Osborne is talking about, remember this, wives are seeking a mature, strong, understanding, passionate, gentle husband. <laughs> and he says there are no such people. He said it's very difficult to find a person that has all of those characteristics and can put them together. You just talk about a husband being strong and gentle. Those are two very difficult things for a man. If a man is strong, he tends not to be terribly gentle. It's very hard for him to get those things into perspective. And yet, that's what a wife is looking for. While a husband wants an all-forgiving, ever-loving, totally understanding wife, mother, mistress, combination of mother forgiving unconditionally, an unconditional love, a movie star housekeeper, a sounding board, an ego builder, and one who thinks his utterances are either profound or at least very witty. <laughs> See, and he's basically saying, folks, there are not people like that. There are people that fulfill some areas of that or at least attempt to, but we've come into a situation that is basically does not exist. I watch young couples trying to get adjusted, and the big adjustment is going from that idealistic expectation into reality. And many of them today don't even attempt it. When the idealistic expectation doesn't come alive, they just hang it up. And somewhere in there we get frustrated with one another, and sometimes we even get angry with one another. The question is, how do we handle our anger? 
How do you handle your anger? I'm sure if we went around the room this morning and everybody was honest, there are lots of ways that anger is handled in here. There are noisy people in here. When you're angry, you, you say loud things. You do loud things. You slam a door. You, you, you do something to let your spouse know that you're not happy. Other people in here are probably incredibly quiet, so quiet it's scary. I tend to be, when Carol and I get into a hassle, I tend to be very quiet. I tend to just kind of go in a shell. And I just kind of want her to know that I'm bugged. And so I do that by just not saying anything. And I kind of walk around, and I don't do anything loud. I just don't do anything. You know, and it doesn't take, and the boys can walk in the house. You know, our boys will walk in the house, and if dad is not noisy, they know something's wrong. Because dad's basically a noisy person. And, and when dad's not noisy, something bad is wrong. See, it's interesting. We handle our anger in all different ways. But let me tell you something. If we don't, within our marriages, handle our anger basically with communication, we are in trouble. If we cannot communicate through anger, if we cannot communicate in the midst of an angry frustration and be able to talk it through. Some of you guys who have been in my seminar that I've done in the afternoons know that one of the things that I've hit it and hit and hit and hit hard on, and I still believe it is a fact, you need to set a talk time in your marriage. And with that insight, we're going to come to the end of part one of our presentation from marriage mentor, Pastor Bob Craning. And uh, Jim, there was so much great advice there. All of us can put that to work in our relationships. That's great stuff, John. And as Pastor Bob said toward the end there, we need to remember that there are no perfect people. During the dating process, we tend to put our best foot forward. I certainly did that. And so in marriage, there can be some surprises uh, once the honeymoon is over. Or I think it's pretty common that even during the honeymoon, some things become apparent. Right. Uh, Even during the honeymoon, you might be surprised by what you find out about your new spouse. But if you want to go the distance, as Bob's talking about, and celebrate 25 or even 60 years of marriage together, you need to have that willingness to be honest, talk about your problems, and ask for help when you need it. And Focus on the Family is here to help. Our own Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley have developed a free marriage assessment that can help you evaluate your relationship in several essential areas like communication and commitment, Uh, Come check it out. It's free at our website today. It is. It's just a short quiz to help you see where your marriage is strong and also some areas that might need some work. And uh, you'll find that at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And let me remind you, Focus on the Family needs your help as we continue to create materials like the Marriage Assessment Tool to help marriages thrive. And for marriages that need serious help, we also offer our Hope Restored four-day intensives with an over 80% success rate two years later. So please donate generously if you can. Uh, The best way to help us is with a monthly pledge. And when you make a donation of any amount today, either a monthly pledge or a one-time gift, we'll send you the complete message from Pastor Bob Craning on CD so that you can listen to it again or give it to a friend. Join our marriage-saving efforts when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or donate online and request your CD at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue this presentation and once more, help you and your family thrive in Christ.
You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. So there have been disappointments. There's been stress in our marriage. We have had illness. I have had two major surgeries. We have had debts. Uh, I look at all the things we've had in our marriage, and I think it's pretty normal. I think it's the things that other people have in their marriages. And somehow within the thrust of that, we've been able to put together 25 years, and we're still excited about another 25 if God should give it to us. Pastor Bob Craning reflecting on 25 years of marriage, and not only did God give him and his wife Carol another 25 years, but they ended up all together 62 years married before Bob passed away last year. And you're going to hear how to get the most out of your marriage on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey John, our hearts ache for the Craning family as they mourn the loss of their patriarch, but we can celebrate the fact that Bob is with the Lord now, and we can celebrate what they learned during their 62-year marriage. And if you missed part one of Bob's presentation yesterday, uh, please get in touch with us. We can send you the entire message on CD or audio download, or you can get the Focus on the Family broadcast app for your smartphone. Yeah, and uh, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or you can find those resources at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. As we heard last time, Bob and Carol wrote down these ideas as they celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary, and Bob is pulling some concepts from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. And along the way, you'll also hear him refer back to a book he's been quoting. It's called The Art of Understanding Your Mate by Cecil Osborne. Here now is Pastor Bob Craney speaking at Forest Home Christian Camps on Focus on the Family. You need to have a daily time that is set to talk. And people say, that is dumb. We live together. I said, yeah, I know you live together, but you don't talk together. Walk in any restaurant and look around the restaurant and you can spot all the married people. They're not talking. You just walk in a restaurant and watch the next time you go. You'll see all the engaged couples and all the dating people are in intense conversations. All the married people are eating. (laughs) Or they're just sitting. They haven't even gotten their food, and they're just sitting. They're just sitting, kind of looking at the ceiling and looking over other people. And then every now and then, one of them will go, and the other one will go, what? And then they'll say it again, and that person will respond. And then they'll look for You just look around the next day. You're laughing, but you look around. Married people tend not to talk. And then they hit a problem, and they don't know how to talk. And it's unbelievable that we learn in marriage how not to talk. That's hard to believe, but we do. I think a lot of it has to do with being together all the time. I think it has to do with children. Our kids begin as they're small. They tend to monopolize conversations. And we get to where we don't communicate well together on a one-to-one. I think it's one of the reasons that men find it difficult to pray with their wives. That's a big factor in Christian marriages. Husband and wives don't pray together. And I think one of the big reasons is they don't communicate well, therefore they don't pray well. Prayer is communication any way you want to cut it. See, and we've got to talk. And one of the great ways we get through angry moments, and I think one of the things that's helped Carol and I, and I tend to be silent, Carol wants to get things solved. Like, Carol tends to come at me. She wants it solved. She wants to know the answer. She wants to know how I feel. 
And she wants to know what's going on, and she wants to be reassured. Osborne says in his book, when your wife asks you if you'll love her, she's not asking for information. She's asking for reassurance. We've got to talk. We've got to be able to communicate with each other and to be able to talk through those kind of things. If we don't, we tend to get destructive, we get sarcastic, we get verbally abusive, we pull up old problems and make them current, and some people even hit. I grew up in a home where if my dad would have ever hit my mom, I'd have passed out flat on the floor. I, you know, I just, I could never hit a woman in all my life. I mean, that's so far from my thinking. And yet I counsel people who hit. People who hit have run out of ideas, <laughs> see? And they're just, there's no more ideas, so you hit. And that's kind of a crazy thing, okay? But those are the kind of things that happen out of anger. And then probably the most important thing he says in this passage is, don't let the devil get a foothold. I'm convinced that the devil gets his toes in the best in a long-term anger situation. You get a couple that get in a hassle and can't get it solved. All of a sudden, you've got a husband who's getting strokes from a secretary. You've got a wife who's getting strokes at work or somewhere else. And all of a sudden, you've got an extra affair going on because people can't solve a problem within the structure of the marriage. And all the devil needs is one little crack. I've got a very close personal friend in the ministry who the devil got a toe into his life in this area this year, and he has done probably, will probably never be in the ministry again. He wrote me a letter, and he said, it has happened in a way that I cannot believe. In his letter, he said, the devil duped me. And he's a guy who's preached about that for the last 22 years. has been a very close personal friend of mine. But he, the devil got a foothold. He just got a toe in the crack. In a situation, you say, well, that cannot be, and that could never happen to me. Folks, there but for the grace of God walk I. And uh, I'm just saying, boy, to me, long-term anger situations in a marriage are a great place for the devil to get a foothold. He'll get in there and begin something that becomes incredibly destructive, and he warns us about it, that long-term anger will do that. So I encourage you in that area. Agree to disagree. Make room for one another. Let me just tell you about some of the differences between Carol and I. We talked about this. We, we're different people in some areas. I'm a sports freak, and I'm not as bad now as I used to be, but I'm still bad. But I used to be awful. I'll tell you how bad I am. I was in Bonn, Germany, when Carol and I were in Europe this year. I was in Bonn, Germany at a convention, and a guy walked up to me and introduced himself and uh, found out I was from Forced Home, and he came over and introduced himself. And uh, Paul and I began to talk, and, and the longer we talked, I thought, I know this guy. I know this guy. And he kept talking, you know, and he's the head of uh, Navigators for Europe. He's the European director of the Navigators organization. And we were talking, and all of a sudden I said, and, and he's, he's telling me some major thing, and I have no, and as my wife has told many of you, I'm a terrible listener, and I'm, and I'm turning over. He's telling me this marvelous thing about the Navigators, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And right in the middle of this conversation, I went, Army, you were an all-American fullback from Army. And he's in another world. I mean, he's telling me something. To and he just stopped. And he says, what? I said, you were an all-American fullback at Army. I said, you were there the same time Roger Starbuck was at Navy. He said, how did you know that? I said, I used to be a sports freak. I said, I knew I knew who you were the minute I saw you and heard your name. And we laughed. He laughed for about 10 minutes. He said, Cranian, I'm trying to be spiritual, and you're talking Army. And... Uh, <laughs> But that's how I used to turn. My head just turned that way. I knew everybody, and I knew everything they'd ever done. 
And I married a wife who is very much into classical music. She really enjoys classical music. Classical music to me is strange. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. Um, those are two very big differences we have. I'm very much a private person away from Forest Home. I do not like to entertain in our home. I do not like to have lots of people at our home. Uh, if we never had anybody for dinner but our family, I'd be totally content. And some of you are going, I, that's hard for me to believe. But I'm like that. I'm a very private person at home. And my home is not a hotel. It never has been and it probably never will be. And I'm just like that. Carol loves to, if we had 28 people every night for dinner, Carol would be thrilled. She loves people at our home. She loves to have people in. She loves to entertain. And she knows that I'm private and she tends not to entertain much because of that. But I've had to make allowances there. We're two very different people there. And we think differently there. Uh, I'm an only child. And I never had to apologize very often as a kid. Occasionally to my parents just to keep peace. But I never apologized much. Carol grew up in a family of five kids. Carol apologized every day just to survive. <laughs> and we're two totally different people. And it's very hard for me to apologize. It's very hard for me to say I'm sorry. It's very easy for Carol often. Carol will make many more concessions to me at that point than I will to her. We talked about it. She brought that up recently. And... Uh, <laughs> No, but it was in a healthy conversation we were talking about this week. And I said, what are other different? And she brought that up immediately. She said, your only child background, you're totally different than I am. I look back over our marriage and I said to Carol the other day, I said, don't you feel we get angry a lot less? And when we do sometimes get bugged, it's over more important things than it used to be. You know, it usually is over an issue now, some major issue that either has to do with how we feel about a conviction in some area, we just don't agree rather than just the little nitty-picky things that come up all the time where you just, you just get mad for no reason. I'm just mad. I don't, you know, I'm just mad. He just came in looking funny and I'm mad, you know. Or he said he'd be home at 5 and he got home at 7 after and I'm just bugged, you know. Those are the kind of things you go through sometimes early in a marriage. I think the maturity of a marriage, you tend to make your anger worthwhile. <laughs> Not how you handle it, but what it's over. It be, it's over major issues. And you tend to find that in major issues, you have to talk them through. You've got to get through them. And they're critical issues. And we've been through some tough talk times. But boy, get time when you talk. You can't shut doors. You can't go out and drive around the block for five hours in your car. Somewhere you've got to come back and face it. See, and people do that. They get in the car and just drive. I'm going to drive. I'm mad. I'm going to drive. Well, that's fine, except for the people that are out there on the street, you know. And uh, they may not be thrilled that you're out there driving. Okay, next thing that he talks about. Let him who steals, steal no longer. I just tried to write down four things that we steal in a marriage. And I'm sure you could add to this list maybe ten other things. First thing I wrote down was time. We tend to steal time a great deal. A little thing that I read recently where a guy wrote down, he said, if you put your work factor into 50 hours a week, okay, some of you maybe 40, but let's say 50. Some of you are up to 90, and I hope you, God speaks to you while you're here this week because you're in trouble. But let's say you work 50 hours a week, and let's say you spend 10 hours driving to and from work. Let's say you sleep 56 hours. Now, you can adjust that any way you want to. I don't sleep 56 hours, but you might. That leaves 52 hours. I guess my question is, what do you do with that 52 hours? If the average child get seven and a half minutes a week of daddy's time, what do you do with that 52 hours? What do you do as a wife? What do you do as a husband with that time? Time is a thing we can steal from each other very, very easily. You get bugged at your husband a little bit, so you know he's going to be home on Thursday, so you plan things. 
So you'll be gone on Thursday. I'll show him. He's going to be home. I'll be gone. He's always gone. I'm going to be gone. A husband. He could come home at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock, but he chooses to go play racquetball or something weird. See? See? Nothing wrong with racquetball, but if it's consistently taking time away from a spouse and you're doing it for any, you know, and we do it for all kinds of reasons. Guys say, well, I go play racquetball five times a week because I want to be healthy. And his marriage is going right in the pits. See, what do you do with your time? What do you do with those 52 hours that you have? How much of that kind of time does your wife get? How much of that time does your husband get? And how constructive is that time as you spend it together? What kind of time do your children get out of that? See, there's a lot of factors in there that have to be dealt with. Second thing that I wrote down is the other thing we can steal is individuality. Not allowing our spouse to be themselves. Whichever direction. I just wrote these things down, and this was just over this last year. My wife, and I'm not saying anything great or bad about Carol. This is just Carol. She's an RN, and she works usually two days a week at the hospital, sometimes three, but usually two. Uh, she's president of the district PTA, which is a very time-consuming thing. She's on the Drug Abuse Council for the city of Redlands. She's in the church choir. She's a member of the missions board at the church and an officer in the Missionary Society for Women. She's a wife, and she's a mother. Now, that's a lot of things. And I can respond. Sometimes I respond negatively because she tends to take on tons. And she's amazing. She gets an amazing amount of things done. But sometimes I get bugged, and I'll say, Honey, don't take on one more thing. You know, that's enough. And, uh, and I get bugged sometimes. But you know something? If I said to Carol tomorrow, don't, you know, this next year you're not going to do any of these. Here are six things, seven things. I don't want you to do any of these. Well, what can I do? Well, don't do anything. Just stay home. I would destroy my wife. My wife thrives in those areas. Her whole personhood is locked up in that. See, and somewhere in there, I have to, and she has to make adjustments backwards sometimes, and she does. She backs out of certain things because she knows it's robbing time on the other end. But that's her, and I want her to be her. Third thing I wrote down is money. Um, you know, one, every now and then you get, a, you get one member of a marriage that will do weird things. You know, the guy that buys five cars in one year because he thinks it's fun, you know, and, and they can't make the house payment. Uh, that's crazy. You know, that's just craziness. Some people have the kind of money they can buy five cars in a year and it doesn't even make their bank account hiccup. But there are other people who can't do that. See, mine would uh, do more than that if I got into some weird way of doing things. But, but how do we handle those kind of things? We can rob each other there. We can, be, we can be very tight in those areas or we can be ridiculous in those areas and create so much stress that we cannot cope. You're listening to Bob Craning on Focus on the Family, and we have a CD of this entire presentation, so you can listen again, maybe with your spouse, and then share it with a friend. Um, it's available for a monthly pledge or a one-time donation of any amount to the ministry of Focus on the Family. Just call us. Our number is 800-A-FAMILY, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Your marriage has 12 essential traits, and the Focus on Marriage Assessment is designed to evaluate those traits and help you build a relationship that thrives. It's free and only takes about 10 minutes to complete. Based on the research and experience of Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, this assessment will help you and your spouse discover areas that are working well and things that could use improvement, like communication, conflict, and commitment. Go to FocusOnTheFamily.com assessment to get started. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com assessment. 
Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Fourth thing I wrote down, and maybe the most important, is trust. You know something? I hope you have been together long enough to know the vulnerable areas of your spouse. I, I am convinced that every person in this room is fragile in some areas. You know, sometimes I see a guy. I, there's a guy that comes to Forest Home. He's not here this week, but he's a good guy, and I like him. But I've heard him say things about his wife and to his wife or to somebody about his wife, and I've seen expressions on her face that are scary. And he's kind of a big guy, and he kind of does everything that way, you know, and he'll share something that in my mind, it's kind of inside marriage stuff. And, he'll, and it's kind of in jest toward her. And, and I've been at a table with him on two occasions where I just felt like she died. I want to tell you some things. There are some things that you can know about the cranings, and there are some things you'll never know. And I hope that's true of every couple in this place. There are things that are private to the cranings. There are things that are private to Carol, but I know them. And if I somewhere breach that privacy, I can really clobber and rob something that is very, very dear to both of us. There are intimacies in a marriage and in a love relationship that just ought not to go outside. And the longer you're married, the more you're aware of the fragile areas of your spouse. And gals, I don't care how tough he seems to be. I'll guarantee you he's got some glass in him somewhere. And if you get a hammer to it at the right time, you're going to break it. And I think every guy that's been married any length of time knows that you've got a wife who has some fragile spots. Boy, there are intimate things that we can rob from one another. I don't care how long we've been married. We can rob them and we can use them to cheat and hurt and clobber and be very, very destructive. And sometimes, unfortunately, very thoughtlessly, really not intending to hurt. But I hope you know that. Time, individuality, money, and trust. You can add to your list ten more things. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, to build up, to help. You know, I'm convinced that in most of our marriages, if we could really guard our tongues, we could solve about 90% of our problems. It's the little statements that we make. It's the little shots that we take. It's the little bullets that go out of the end of the gun that we then have to spend great amounts of time recovering from. And he warns us. He warns us within the family of God. And certainly if it's important there, it's got to be important in our own homes. The little shots we take at our kids sometimes, the things that we say to them that are devastating, it's all words. And he just reminds us, you know, that it's very, very important. Words, I wrote down, words tend to last. They tend to stay around. 
Remember that that person you're married to is fragile. Be careful what you say. And then the final thing. And do not grieve the Spirit of God, he says. And then he comes down and he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You know, I think if there's anything that Carol and I have done in 25 years, it's learn to forgive and forget. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I think if there's anything that Carol and I have done, it's been to forgive quickly and get it out of our system and get it over with and make it permanent. And boy, that seems to be critical to me. Learn to forgive. And I just wrote down at the end, you know, it's interesting when you look back over your years of marriage, it's basically the good times that you remember. It's the fun we take pictures of. Do you ever notice that? Do you ever look through pictures albums and see pictures of arguments and, <laughs> you know, giant hassles? You know, hey, here's our biggie we had in 58, you know? And here's the husband slamming the door as he walks out in the street, you know, and here's the wife driving her car in anger, you know. Isn't it funny? We don't keep pictures of those things. I looked through our picture albums the other night. We got a stack of them, and I flipped through some of them, and I saw a week we spent at Lake Havasu in a tent. I saw a whole flock of pictures of our two kids about that big the first time we ever went snow skiing. I saw a trip that Carol and I took when I made $58 a week <laughs> and we saved a year to go for three days. And I still have pictures of that. <laughs> Those are the things you keep pictures of, not the crud. You get through the crud so you got 50 years of pictures to look at because those are the things that excite you about your marriage. Those are the things you laugh about. Those are the things you have fun about. I saw some pictures of the guys at the University of Redlands that I did the Bible study with for two years. I saw pictures of a five-day thing we did at Lake Powell with some friends, with all the kids. It was a zoo, but gosh, it was fun. That's what's in our book. And that's why you work through your problems, and that's why you work through your hassles. And that's why you work through the things that are tough. So you got good pictures to look at in the times that are good. My wife and I walked in the room the other night of our oldest boy who's getting married the 31st. And he's always lived at our house. This will be the first time he's been gone. We walked in his room the other night and we just looked around the room. And all the pictures, he's got pictures all over his walls of his high school football days, his college football days, his friends, Forest Home, the five summers he worked here, guys that he worked with. Trophies, he's got a couple shelves of trophies that he won playing ball. And we stood in there and we cried a little bit. But we said, wow, what a privilege. What a privilege to have 22 years with this kid. If God takes him tomorrow, what a privilege we've had to have 22 years with him. Hey, that's what our family's all about. And that's what our 25 years is all about. And that's what our little picture albums are all about because we've worked through some hassles and we've worked through some crud to have the privilege. God, help us just to be your people. 
to love and to care for one another in a way that makes you know that we love you and that we love each other. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. What a great way to put those conflicts into perspective. And we've been listening uh, for the past couple of days now to the wisdom of the late Bob Craning as he reflected on 25 years of marriage with his wife, Carol. Bob and Carol were married for a total of 62 years. And as Bob said, it's not because they were perfect people. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. We're all sinners saved by grace, and we're working out our sanctification with the Lord as we go through life. And here at Focus, we hear from a lot of young married couples, John, who say, my marriage isn't working out. I must have picked the wrong person. Hmm. But there is no one person who is the perfect match for you. Don't let the ads for matchmaking apps fool you. Often the problem lies in a combination of unrealistic expectations and a lack of long-term relationship skills. And if you're disgruntled with your relationship, you might also find yourself attracted to someone else, maybe someone at the office who gives you lots of compliments. That's not the answer. I love that old quote, life isn't greener on the other side of the fence, it's greener where you water it. That's what Bob's saying. Water and feed your marriage and invest in it, and you too can have a rewarding, fulfilling relationship that will last a lifetime. I'd also like to point out that we often hear from older listeners who are now in their second or third marriages, and they realize they're having the same problems that they had in their first marriage. And if that's the situation you're facing, let me just say as kindly as I can, the common denominator in all these relationships is you. There may be something that you're not dealing with in your character and how you relate to your spouse. And I'd like to suggest that you work on that. Don't just walk away from yet another relationship. And let me offer you a lifeline. Just call us here at Focus on the Family. We have Christian counselors right here who specialize in marriage, who would consider it a privilege to spend some time with you on the phone and give you some first steps to consider. We would love to help you. Also, visit us online and check out our marriage assessment tool. It's designed to help you identify the strengths and the weaknesses of your relationship with your spouse. That'll be useful, especially if you just need a quick tune-up, if you will. And uh, you'll find a link to that marriage assessment. It's free at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And if you appreciate the help that Focus on the Family provides for marriages... Uh, please make a donation today, and let me recommend you join our team by making a monthly pledge. That's what Gene and I do. It doesn't have to be a large amount. It's the consistency, month to month, that really does help us. When you make a donation of any amount, either one time or a monthly gift, we'll send you a CD of this message from Bob Craning. Get in touch with us today. You can reach us by calling 800-A-FAMILY, 800-232-6459. Or stop by our website and donate online and request your CD. We're at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. Mm-hmm.